But amen. Good morning. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 2 today. I've got a lot to say, and that's a problem because you guys listen so slowly. It's totally your fault. Mark 2. We're going to start in verse 23 this morning. So, Father, we love you. We adore you. It's my prayer this morning that this church would, would not just be a place where we come to drink, but would be a place, Father, that so satisfies your heart. Holy Spirit, would you be so satisfied in what you see in us? And anything in our hearts, Lord, anything in our church that brings you displeasure, we just open our hands and we say, prune us today. We, we want you to be the, the most honored guest. We love you, Jesus. More than life, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say amen. Amen. Well, there's, there's lots of questions about, I've had lots of questions, but what are, what's my opinion on, on Asbury? What's my opinion on what's happening in our nation as people begin to flock to pray and worship? And I just want you to know that my opinion is we need much, much more of it, that the hope of our nation is, is the move of God. The hope of our nation is, look, for years now, for years now, the church has tried to attract culture on the basis of our programs, our organization, and the personality of our pastors. We've tried to attract, make our culture feel comfortable and easy. And, and today, I just want to say, there's only one thing that attracts a sinner to Jesus. His name's Holy Spirit. And, and we need His ministry and His power in our midst. Now, as we get into the text today, I'll show you where I'm going here. But let, let me just start saying this. Every time the Lord has moved in the earth, there has been resistance. I was reading this week Charles Finney. He's one of my favorites. He was a lawyer who began to do evangelism um, all through the colonies. And I love him because he was a lawyer. He would just kind of open a text and just begin to argue against the congregation. You are sinners. You are depraved. And you need the cross. And he, with all of his kind of legalese, he was arguing, you're guilty. And then he would start to argue, your only hope is the cross of Jesus. And it was a beautiful move. And But you know, Charles Finney was the first person to really do altar calls where he would say, now I want you to get up and come to the altar and repent of your sin. And he was mocked to and fro back and forth for altar calls. And many men would gather together and they would, uh, pastors would sign their name on these big letters to denounce what God was doing through Charles Finney. And Finney saw thousands and thousands of people come to Jesus through his ministry, but he was rejected for, for altar calls. Now, Wesley and Whitfield, of course, they were spit on because they preached outside. How dare you preach outside? And they were like, well, we can't fit in the church anyway. I was, we talked about the booths recently. Um, William Booth, the leader of the Salvation Army, wasn't the most put-together man, but he was fiery, and he spent his days on street corners doing evangelism, and, the, and many in the church mocked him as, as a kind of simple, unintellectual man. And, I, and for what? And so as, as, as God begins to move, I want to say to us, we need to lean in. That doesn't, that doesn't mean have no discernment. I think there's a lot of shoddy, shallow, fleshy doctrine that's 
floated through our churches. It's my belief that as true revival is poured out on our nation, that stuff's going to be purged out. And there's nothing shallow and shoddy about a bunch of college students just wanting to pray and worship. It's beautiful and holy. And now, um, I just, I just feel the need to talk a little bit today. So let me, okay? You don't get to tell me what to do. I don't know if you know that or not. I do what I want to do. I was, um, I grew up in the deep south, right? Deep south. I grew up in Pensacola, Florida. You call that southern Alabama because it's, it's, it's not Florida. It's just Alabama got too lazy to come any further deep. Um, and in big Baptist churches, big cessationist churches, very hot intellectual preachers, good preachers. Um, but when I was 20 years old, I was in a prayer meeting and what I would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened to me. The Holy Spirit fell on me. The glory of God fell on me and I began to speak in other tongues. And now some may call that a second blessing. Some may call it the initial filling of the Spirit. I don't care what you call it. I'm just telling you that I was in a prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit's power and fire fell on me. And I started to pray in other tongues and worship in a deep way like I had never worshipped. But as I began to just cherish what the Holy Spirit was doing in my life, I was two weeks before people started telling me that, that, that it wasn't of God, that the Spirit of God doesn't do that anymore, that their church teaches that anyone who speaks in tongues might be speaking in demonic languages. Well, golly, Paul's sure in trouble. He speaks in tongues more than anyone, he says. And so what we're going to talk about today as we get into the text is Jesus says, if the world hates you and persecutes you, remember that they hated me and persecuted me. And what we've seen for the last several weeks is Jesus began to minister to tax collectors who weren't very holy. And so the religious leaders, the first thing we read was the religious leaders said, how dare he eat with tax collectors? And you know what Jesus said? Get over it. Then the second thing that happened, Jesus' disciples were celebrating rather than fasting. And they said, you're not of God because your disciples don't fast. Now, I suspect it's only been a few months since Jesus' great 40-day fast. I think he's still skin and bones. I don't think he's even put meat back on his body yet. And they're saying, you don't fast. And you know what Jesus says? Get over it. This is new wine and this is celebration. Enjoy. And the heart of what I'm doing is joy. Today we're going to read that the disciples, um, they're, they're walking with Jesus and they're eating, they're picking grain and eating on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are going to say, how dare you? And Jesus is going to say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And then there's going to be a man with a withered hand. And they say, you shouldn't heal anyone on the Sabbath. And Jesus is going to be grieved in heart. And he's going to say, the heart of the Father is healing always. Now, what we're going to see throughout the text is Jesus is opposed at every turn because he's not doing what religious people think he should be doing. And he's expressing the heart of God. Jesus is saying the man's hands withered. He's suffering. God doesn't, God's not saying you can never heal on the Sabbath. God's heart is for healing. And Jesus is going to say, watch me express the heart of God anyway. Despite what the religious leaders, religious people say and do. I'm suggesting two things primarily today. One, that when, gosh, when God begins to move in our nation, I'm suggesting first you lean in 
And you don't become crippled by the voice of the religious folks who start to critique. So not only was Jesus not crippled by religious folks who critiqued him, you know what he did? He said, watch me. And he said, you don't understand the heart of God. Today we're going to read that Jesus got angry and did what he was going to do anyway. Now, you, you were taught in Sunday school that Jesus wasn't supposed to get angry. And whoever taught you that is probably the one who taught my son that my son told me this week that Jesus walked on water. And I said, that's so good, son. He's too. It's so good. Jesus did walk on water. He said, but dad, he got stuck. And I said, what do you mean he got stuck? And he said, well, they're going to have to get Zuma as a dog from Paw Patrol. They're going to have to get Zuma's truck out there and pull him out. <laughs> Apparently, Jesus is driving a monster truck on the water and got a little stuck. No, Jesus, Jesus is going to show frustration and confidence. And he's going to say, I'm going to pursue the Father no matter what you say. No matter what you say. And over the years, I was, man, mocked by so many Baptist, good Baptist friends for speaking in tongues and praying for the sick. And that's okay. But the temptation is for me to begin to get, become intimidated by their critiques. And I start to get a little more timid. Still believe what I believe, but if I say or do something that's not just right, they might mock me. And so I really want to be real intellectual and make sure my arguments are real airtight. And today I just want to say, forget that. Let's find the heart of God and pursue a move of this Holy Spirit in our region and believe God to shake our young people, believe God to shake our old people. And, and I don't care. I don't care what you call what happened to me. If you call it the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, I call it the baptism of the Spirit. I don't care what you call it, but I'm desperate for my kids to have it. Does that make sense? I'm desperate for my kids to know the moving of the Spirit. Now, I'll say this before we move. Jesus says in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Therefore, his entire ministry, he was being persecuted, spit on, accused. Every generation tends to look back and say, if I had lived in the days of William Booth, I would have ministered with him. I wouldn't have mocked him. Every generation tends to look back and say, if I had lived in the days of John and Charles uh, Wesley and George Whitfield, I would have loved to hear them preach outside. If I had lived in the days of Charles Finney, I wouldn't have mocked him for altar calls. But watch what the Pharisees say. Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 23, verse 29 through 31. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And Jesus says, so you say to me, if I had lived in the days of Jeremiah, I would have loved Jeremiah's preaching. All the while, you're plotting my murder. The temptation is to say, if this was Wesley, I would have loved it. But these kids, they don't have doctorate degrees. The temptation is to say, if it was, you know, the, if it was Whitfield, I would have loved it. He was a good Calvinist. But these, these kids, they were Asbury's a Wesleyan school, and they don't have good Calvinism. And, and I just want to say, Man, that's so pharisaical. It's not if it was Wesley or if it was Whitfield or if it was the Salvation Army. It's, is it the Holy Ghost? And if it's the Holy Ghost, I, I'm, I'm begging you, don't lean out and start to critique and start to watch every YouTube video about what someone should have done or could have done. Or you, No move of God is perfect. I'm going to tell you a very simple reason why. Because people are involved. And the moment God starts to move and all the weirdos come out, and if you think you're going to have a move of God without weirdos, shame on you. 
And you know, sometimes what I find is that the weirdos love Jesus more than I do anyway. And they're strange and eccentric, but sometimes their hearts are hot and they walk in the spirit. And one of the things I've wanted to do over my life is learn. I think I've told you before, I had some man years ago with the worst breath. I mean, just coffee breath from hell. Okay. And he, and he says, I want to sing you a song. And I think to myself, I don't want to hear it. But I've tried over the years to submit myself, even in these moments. And this guy with the, with the breath from hell sings a song over me. And I promise you, it read my mail. And I got up the next morning thinking, God is for me. And God used the, the weird coffee breath man to remind me that he is with me and for me. I'm, I want to tell you, lean in. I'm not telling you to embrace every teaching. But I'm asking you not to be critical. Mark chapter 2. You guys with me so far? Is that okay? Mark 2, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to him, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Chapter three, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Again, they say, why do you eat with tax collectors? They're not very dignified. They don't wear the right clothes and the right language. And Jesus says, I eat with tax collectors because I'm actually leading them to the gospel, to God. Then they say, um, why aren't you guys fasting? And Jesus says, well, this is a celebration because God has come in the flesh. And we're rejoicing. And this gospel is going to be good news to the nations. So today we read his disciples. It, it, it seems that they are strolling through a, a field, a grain field on the Sabbath day. Now, some commentators assume, I assume it's kind of afternoon they're kind of on an afternoon stroll with their rabbi and they're picking grain and they're beginning to um, to eat. And people say, oh, no, they're violating the Sabbath. This can't be of God. Now, so far in Gospel of Mark, we've seen that Jesus drives out demons, not because he dances or not because he's the newest or best shaman. He drives out demons by just telling them to go. Okay, so he's got authority over demons. We've seen Jesus heal sick people by saying, your sins are forgiven. That really ticks some people off. And, and just saying, get up. Okay, so he's, he's not using some kind of medicinal herbs. He's not stewing anything and singing or chanting. He's just expressing authority. And then when he teaches, they say, why does he teach like this? The rabbis kind of speculate and they give us ideas and philosophies. But he just talks to us as if he's right. He teaches as a man with authority. And so we're, we're seeing unravel in the gospel that Jesus is expressing his own divine 
authority. And so when it comes to a matter of, of, of law, they're, they're asking the law giver to submit to their interpretation of what he said originally. And, and what we found is that the Sabbath law in the, in the Old Testament, the Levitical law concerning Sabbath, it said that the Jews were not to work on, on Saturday, on Sabbath. Now, the Levitical law doesn't do a ton of defining as to what work is. It just kind of communicates that they shouldn't be working in their fields. They need to take a day of rest. They need to take a day with their families. It should be a day of worship. And one of the things about Sabbath law that's so beautiful is it teaches people that they do not live by their own strength. When you're afraid of whether or not you're going to make enough money, you work yourself to death. You overwork yourself out of fear. And God says to his people, I want you to take a day a week and just worship and remember that it's me that provides. I provide. But over the years, what happens in rabbinic tradition is the scholars begin to debate what is work. They get a fine-tooth comb, and they start to try to tease out what exactly could be work and what isn't work. Now, they come up with like 30-something categories, I think 39 categories of what work is. They define work as um, sewing, plowing, reaping, weaving two threads together, killing an animal, skinning an animal, salting your meat, building anything, erasing writing is work. So they, they make this long list. This is not in scripture. This is in rabbinic tradition. Long list of what work is and work isn't. Now, that's not what God has said. That's their interpretation of what God has said. So what we find today is Jesus is going to respond with two lines of argument to this opposition. One, like a good rabbi, he responds with the Old Testament. They say, why? Why are you eating, you're eating grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, do you remember when David was hungry? Now, this is in David's wilderness years where Saul's kind of chasing him. And David goes into the temple and he eats the showbread, which would have been put out on Sabbath. And only the priests were supposed to eat it. But David was hungry and, and the priest gives David the bread. He's starving. And nowhere in the Old Testament is David condemned for that. The Old Testament kind of teaches that, that because it's David, he's, David's not supposed to starve to death. And, and Jesus is kind of implying if David is allowed to do it, shoo. I'm much higher than David in authority. He's saying if, if David has the authority to eat because he's hungry and his followers are hungry, I have the authority to eat. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, his second line of reasoning is this. The Sabbath is not to oppress man. The Sabbath was originally to bless man. The Sabbath was for man, that man would have a day of rest. Now, this becomes an issue of the heart of God. That the Pharisees, and and Jesus talks about this in the, the seven woes in Matthew 23. He says that the Pharisees love to lay up heavy burdens on the people. Love to weigh them down with law. To lay them down with regulations. And now on Sabbath, rather than having a day to put your feet up, sit on the couch with your family, go to church together. Everyone's kind of panicked, trying to make sure they follow the rules perfectly. Can't walk that far. I need this, but I don't want to walk farther than the regulations. And, and the whole Sabbath has become this big legal ball of garbage. And Jesus says, this was about rest and family. 
This was about man's health and wholeness. Now you think that God is watching people with a rod, seeing just how far they walk, getting ready to whip him. And I'm saying that rather God is watching his people saying, I want you healthy and I want you whole. I want you to enjoy my goodness with your family. You think that God is a taskmaster ready to judge. I'm telling you by my authority that God is for people. It's for the God is a father who loves us. He's not this legalistic whipping man ready to beat us down. Now, what we see from the text is that they're not working. They're not reaping the harvest. They don't have sacks and they're not they're, they're literally just strolling. They're just walking with their rabbi. And what they're doing is which which the, the law approves of. You're not allowed to harvest someone else's field. You're not allowed to go take a sack and harvest someone else's field in the Old Testament. But if you're walking, you are allowed to pick with your hands and eat. They're just picking seed. So they're strolling with their rabbi, picking seed, talking about God, the scriptures. And they say, oh, they're breaking the law. And Jesus says, oh, no, they're not. They're resting, meditating on God's word. Jesus says, you have no idea what you're talking about. Now, what really is at the heart of this is Jesus is not doing what they say Jesus should be doing. And that's the heart of the religious spirit. The religious spirit says, you must do what I say. But the heart of the Christian is, I must do what Jesus says. The heart of the Christian is, I love the voice of the spirit, not the voice of the crowds. If you're ever going to be a Christian that's fully in love with God, at some point, you're going to have to spit on the praise of man and just say, go to hell. I don't want it. I don't want your approval. I'm not living for your approval. If I'm living for your approval, I can't have the fullness of God's spirit and goodness because sometimes he asks me to do things that you might not approve of. And imagine this, you're not my God. And church, if you don't have the confidence to say that to a religious spirit, you're going to be crippled. I'm going to be crippled. I had a dream this week. Maybe that's not true. I had a dream maybe two weeks ago now. In the dream, I was with um, a group of young people. This was probably right before the stuff at Asbury started to happen. And I dreamed that these young people, they were college-age students, they were praying for each other, and they they were praying for people on the street. And and one of the college students asked me to come over and pray. And I came over and prayed. And I just laid my hands on the person's head. And I said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like I would do. I always do. And the person kind of hit their knees, rolled over, fell on the ground, and began to shout and praise God in the dream. Which has happened. It's not, it doesn't always happen. I'm not looking to push anybody down. I've been pushed down. I'm not looking for that. But it has happened over the years as I pray for people. And I turned to the next kid who was his friend. And I said, would you like to me to pray for you too? And the kid in the dream said, oh, no, Brownsville, kill me. Now, Brownsville was the revival in the 90s in Pensacola where I grew up. And Brownsville was a revival where they preached repentance. Come to Jesus. Be washed of your sin. But there were a lot of power manifestations. People rolled, cried, yelled, shouted. That was never the focus. The focus was always literally run to the altar and repent was the move of Brownsville. So in the dream, I turned to this kid and he said, no, Brownsville will kill me. Which Brownsville is something I cherish. And um, then I turned and I walked over to two very well-known pastors. And one I know, and the other I don't know, but the other is a beautiful, wonderful preacher, incredible preacher. Let's call him John for today. And I began to tell them the story. This one kid got touched by the Spirit, and then the other kid ran from me saying, Brownsville will kill me, and I was laughing. And the preacher, who I don't know, who's a very scholastic, wonderful preacher, said, Caleb, did you touch him? I said, well, I just placed my hand softly on his head like I always do. And he, he began to rebuke me. He said, Caleb, you're a good kid. 
He said, but you cannot go around touching people on the head. And I said in the dream from the spirit, I said, hold on. He just said, you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I said, hold on. The apostle Paul says to Timothy, stir to flame the gifts of God, which were deposited on you through the laying on of hands. And I said, hold on. I can show you a hundred times over where the elders were anoint someone with oil and pray. The scripture's full of Paul and Acts 18, 19 at Ephesus, laying hands on people and then being filled with the Spirit. You don't get to tell me that I can't lay my hands on someone because it offends your intellectual understanding of Christianity. It's plain New Testament. And now I, I know that might be harsh. I, I, I was once in a meeting, a great revival meeting, and I was so desperate for God. And I came up front for prayer. And this old man, he must have been 85, walked behind me. He hit me with one leg behind this and then just pushed me right over. Now, I, I've never been particularly religious. I thought it was funny um, in that that was stupid. Um, but I, the only thing I was offended by was I was really desperate for God today. Oh, it's funny that you think you need to do that, but I really needed God. Um, so I just got back up and went to the next person. But I've been pushed over, and I get the showmanship of that. But the scriptures teach over and over that the apostles, the disciples, laid hands on people and pray. And the intimidation of, of the intellectual, the elite, the intimidation of Western scholarship is if I ever lay my hands on someone, I must be pushing them or I must be, and, 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 and I'm now a showman. And I'm just saying, no. This is the way that God moves in the Scripture. It's the way that someone laid their hands on me and prayed and God radically touched me. You don't get to intimidate me out of base Christianity. But so many of us have been intimidated out of walking with the Spirit because you're scared of what Western scholarship would say about you actually believing that the Holy Spirit will do something. You've been taught that all the Holy Spirit is for salvation, and the Holy Spirit is for salvation. Good God. It calls us to be born again, to rejuvenate, renew our hearts. Beautiful, wonderful, holy. Yes. But the Holy Spirit doesn't cause you to be born again and then leave for the next 50 years of your life. He wants to walk with you. And sometimes he'll speak to you through a dream or through a vision. And intellectual elites will say, oh, you better be careful about that. Oh, you better be careful about your thinking anti-supernatural scholarship that's dry and cold. I do, want to be, I do want to be a good steward of the scriptures. I want to learn scripture and know scripture. But you know what I see in scripture when I read it? Like Paul going to Macedonia because he had a dream from the spirit that told him to go to Macedonia. You know what I see in the scripture when I read it? It's like God saying, Paul saying that you need to pursue prophecy. Paul saying that you need to be people who lean into the gifts of the Spirit. With discernment, yes. There's nothing in here that says, be scared of the Holy Spirit. And, if, and, and let me say this just out of full conviction. If you're here this morning and your intention is to, to somehow intimidate or pressure me into a corner, I just want to say to you this morning, it's probably, it's probably in the right place. I'm going to be faithful to the God of the Scriptures, faithful to the God who met me at 20 years old, depressed and anxious and filled me. I'm not embarrassed to tell you that I pray in tongues every day. It's beautiful. I'm not embarrassed to tell you that I still believe God drives out demons or God heals the sick. If you think that somehow you're going to argue me out of that, this probably isn't the right church. And, and as Jesus begins to minister, and he's walking with his disciples, and they're eating, and they're fellowshipping, and the Pharisees say, you can't do that. Jesus says, well, watch me, bud. 
And again, remember we said that this, when you read Mark slow and you're really trying to meditate on what's happening here, John the Baptist had this huge movement of people, this big movement. The Pharisees are a pretty strong movement. And now Jesus is starting a movement. And there are people coming, flocking to his meetings, watching him, listening to his teaching. So we're seeing a collision of multiple movements. And Jesus' movement is being critiqued by the others. And as Jesus is critiqued, he just confidently says, I know the heart of the Father. I know the heart of the Father. I know who I am. I know what I'm called to. You don't get to critique me out of my call. Now, next, let's read the next, or remind our hearts of the next portion here. Jesus goes, so the way that I think the text flows, and some scholars agree and some don't, the way I think the text flows is Jesus seems to be walking with the disciples in a field. They're eating and talking. Pharisees critique him. Jesus says, get over it. And then these disciples and Jesus, they go to synagogue. Same, I think it's the same day. I think it was the same day. They go to synagogue, and as they walk in, there's a man with a withered hand. Now, the Pharisees are already on edge. They're, they're waiting, watching to see what Jesus would do. Now, there's nothing in the Old Testament that says that you can't heal on Sabbath. Not, a, not even close. But in rabbinic literature, extra-biblical literature, they would say things like, if someone has a sickness that can wait, don't treat their sickness on the Sabbath because that could be considered work. So if you were sick with, with I don't know, a sinus issue, and, and, and I had medicine, it might be work for me to go get the medicine and minister the medicine to you on Sabbath. You can wait with your sinus issue. But the law said, but if a woman's in labor, you can't really ask her to hold that up. Th- then you can go. So a man with a withered hand. He's been, we can assume he's had a withered hand for years. Maybe he had a seizure, maybe a stroke, but his hand's been kind of withered up for years. Um, they would say, Jesus, that can wait till tomorrow. It's, this is not life or death. That hand's been withered for a long time, Jesus. And Jesus says, is it lawful to heal or to harm? And, and no one says a word. And, and sometimes that's exactly what the religious spirit does as well. As soon as it's pushed back a bit, it just kind of sits and stares. And Jesus says, is, is, it, is it lawful to heal or harm? The scripture tells us that he begins to grow angry, grieved at their hardness of heart. What does that mean, grieved at their hardness of heart? He's grieved that their hearts are so hard they don't understand God at all. Does God want them to heal on the Sabbath? Of course he does. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And he stretches out his hand. And um, it's kind of funny in the text because, again, Jesus doesn't actually do any work, right? He doesn't walk over and say, well, let's take out a ruler and tell me what happened and let's talk through your past trauma. Or Jesus just says, stretch it out. Can you even classify that as work? He just talked. It's talking work now too. Pharisees. And so, so you can stretch it out. And, and what we find is immediate, the scripture says immediately the Pharisees turned to meet with the Herodians. Now let me remind you a little context here. The Herodians are Jews who support, imagine who? Herod. So Herod is, this, is, is the Roman installed governor of the region who the Jews believe is actually persecuting them. So there are some, mostly Sadducees, they're very rich elite, they're called Herodians, they support the idea that Rome should implant a, a Jewish governor over them, they fund it financially. The Pharisees hate the Herodians, because what the Pharisees long for is Israel's liberation from Roman oppression. They literally hate each other. But now they found a common enemy in Jesus. So they gather to, to plot and how they can destroy him. For what? 
or saying, man, stretch out your hand. We want to ponder today, as, as I get ready to, to wrap us down, we want to ponder today, when we present gospel, when we present Christianity, are we presenting the heart of the Father? Okay, so the, the Pharisees say, oh, no, no, the law is really a bunch of regulations. You better jump through our hoops or God's going to strike you dead. Do we present the heart of the Father that says, God is for redemption and healing and wholeness. And look, we know that you actually can't stop sinning. So God's going to give you the Holy Spirit to sanctify. You don't even have to do it in your own power. And, and, and in the gospel, we are saying, we understand that you've made a total mess of your life. And look, God says none of that matters. Jesus Christ's blood will wash you clean. He has worn your punishment. He has borne your shame. You could have newness of life. Or are we saying to culture, man, you don't dress right. God's going to judge you because you don't talk like us. Are we, are we, are we, are we so butt puckered? That what we're, what we're really saying to society is what's wrong with America is you're not like us. If you were like us, America would be better. I'm not saying if you were like me, America would be better. I'm saying if you would give your heart fully to the gospel of Jesus Christ and be filled with the Spirit, then America would be better. Do we have the heart of the Father in our Christianity? Come on, ponder it today. I'm asking you today as you go home, ponder, do I know the heart of God? Do I know it? And two, what we want to ponder today is are we too cowardly to stand up to those who begin to oppose and push and pressure? Anytime Charles Finney calls an altar call, or anytime the Boots preach on the corner and sing, and anytime Wesley Whitfield preach in the field, and when Brownsville happens and somebody fell, then it must not be of God, even though the doctrine is perfectly orthodox, and they're calling people to repentance and faith. Are we going to cower when the I know better start to yak? Or do you have the confidence in who you are in God and in this gospel to look religious folks in the face and say, you're not my master. There's good discernment. There's good discernment when we hear a teaching or we start to embrace a practice. It's good to be good Bereans, to go to the scripture and say, is this scriptural? Do we have sound doctrine? That's good, good discernment. Good to practice. It's not good discernment to walk around constantly afraid that you might not be perfectly in good favor with the religious folk or with someone else's opinion of what it means to be a Christian. It's not, it's not discernment. Discernment is not being so cautious and afraid of the spirit because someone else might not like you. That's not discernment. That's cowardice. That's cowardice. We need to be a church who says, all right, does God still heal? Let's go to the scripture and find. There's nothing in the scripture that tells me that God stopped healing Nothing in the scripture that told me that I shouldn't pursue prophecy or tongues. It tells me the opposite. I should. And so if the scripture tells me a direct command that I should do something, and then you come and you subvert the command, I'm just going to choose Bible. And I'm sorry if that offends you. But I ain't. I don't worship you. And so worship team come for me. I'm going to get ready to close. I just want us to kind of ponder for a moment today. Many of us have prayed for a moving of the Spirit for years, have longed. Some of you guys have been through great moves of the Spirit. And we pray every Wednesday night. Oh, how often do we pray, church? Please pour your Spirit out on our children and our children's children and in our universities and our high school campuses. We pray constantly. 
The question is, if God starts to do it, are you going to be too afraid of the folks who disapprove to lean in? And I'm just saying, if you think I'm going to be too afraid to lean in, you don't know me. You ain't, you ain't seen a steadfast head like mine when, when, I, when I get pressed. And, and, and so we want to have the heart of the Father. We want to make sure we have the heart of the Father. That's the discernment part, right? Make sure we get, we've got the Father's heart. And then as we lean into it, anybody who's got, this, who's got spit to throw on us, we just say, take a hike, bud. You're not master. Jesus Christ is master. We want the fullness of the gospel. I don't need your approval. I need the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't need your programs. I don't need your personality. I don't need your intellect. I need the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit to heal, to deliver, to vindicate this gospel as it's preached. The blood of Jesus Christ is to purchase the nations. The power of the Spirit draws the nations to it. Is that what we're here for? Because I think God's going to do something in this region. I really do. I'm suspicious that we're on the edge of God doing something in this region. But we're going to have to make sure we're not cowards. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet?